We are in week two of our series, The Seven Churches in Revelation. Uh, easy way to keep track. We're going to go in order. So we're on the second church uh, in Revelation. So uh, we're going to talk about Smyrna today. But last week, uh, we talked about Ephesus, and we kind of dove into what Jesus was saying in his letter to the church in Ephesus, which was essentially this. You've been faithful, but you've forsaken your first love. You have done all the right things, but you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who you are. You have forgotten the why. You've forgotten your love for me. And so we talked last week about uh, doing some of the things that Jesus is calling this church in Ephesus to do, to, to remember, to constantly remember what it feels like, what it felt like when we first came to Christ, when we first knew that we were in love with Him, when we first knew that we were in a relationship with Him, when we first had that hunger and that thirst for more and for more, to constantly remember that, to repent and get back and to do those things that we did at first. These are the instructions that Jesus gives the church in Ephesus and he gives us as well. This week we're going to be at the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, starting at verse 8. If you want to go there with me, uh, page 1063 in our pew Bibles if you need, if you need a pew Bible. Uh, I encourage you to bring your Bibles uh, every week. You can underline, you can star, you can do all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, just know your Bible as well. Revelation 2, uh, starting at verse 8. And while you're turning there, some of you are already there, some of you are on your phones, and your tablets, doesn't matter. Uh, while you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of background on this church in Smyrna, because Smyrna has a rich, rich history. Uh, probably, out of all the churches, this one has kind of the, the clearest, richest history that we can go back and look at today. So Smyrna uh, is an incredible city. It was actually one of the, is the only city that we are going to be talking about during these seven weeks that is still there today. It is not called Smyrna anymore. It is called Izmir, and it is in modern Turkey. It's about 35 miles north of Ephesus, uh, and it is a beautiful city. It's in this peninsula, and uh, what it reminds me of when I see pictures of it is, is if you've ever been to Ensenada, and you know that no matter where you go in Ensenada, you've got a view. The ocean is there, uh, the, the whole city is kind of slanted down towards the water. It's just beautiful. That's what I think of when I think of this city. This city, I've, I've seen pictures and stuff, you can be way back in the city, but still have a view of the ocean. It is a city that is, it's just a beautiful city. It's a beautiful place to live. It's a, it's a beautiful city. It's a great place to live back then as well. It was known as the first in beauty and in size in the area. There, today, there are about a half a million people living there. It's a, it's a big city. Uh, but that city controlled the trade in the area. It was an incredibly wealthy city at the time. There was a large public theater. It was built into the hill. There was a famous stadium there. There's a library. This city, Smyrna, was not without its riches. This was a very wealthy city. It was a very wealthy place, the city of Smyrna. Then in 600 B.C., the Lydians come in. I'm sorry, in 1000 B.C., maybe it was 600 B.C., one of those two. Don't quote me on that. But here's what happens in one of those dates, is that the Lydians come in, and they just destroy the whole city. The city is gone. It's in ruins. And for a few hundred years, it stays that way. It's in ruins. It's, there's, there's no one living there. It's, it's done. And then a few hundred years after that, Alexander the Great comes. 
And under his leadership, the city is rebuilt. And they rebuild it pretty much to its former glory. It's rebuilt, it's restored, it kind of re- retains its, its status as kind of the gem in the area. Like you just want to live in that city if you're going to live in the area. The city was, was very friendly with Rome. In fact, uh, <clears throat> Cicero called Smyrna the best friend of Rome. It was one of its most faithful allies, he said. There was a temple to the goddess Roma there, which is the goddess who was to protect Rome. And you can see this, this is a very unfriendly city to Christians. This is a very Roman-like city. They loved Rome. They were allies to Rome. They had a temple of the goddess to protect Rome in their city, which is not in Rome, right? They, they were very close to Rome. So being a Christian here was rough. It was a place where, where Rome was God, and any other god was not just, it just wasn't going to cut it. And so, in fact, one of the most famous martyrs that we know of today, his name is Polycarp. Polycarp died in Smyrna. Polycarp was actually appointed the bishop of Smyrna by John, who, coincidentally enough, is writing what we're going to read today. Right? He, he has put Polycarp here in this city. He is the bishop of Smyrna. And one night, Polycarp has a dream. And in this dream, he sees flames just coming up around him. And he wakes up and he knows, I'm going to be burned at the stake for my faith. Two days later, they come and they seize him at his house and they take him in. And in the courts, he has this opportunity to denounce his faith and live or to retain his faith and die at the stake. And here's what, here's what Polycarp said. This is, this is the quote that we have from here, from him. It says, For eighty and six years I have served Christ. He has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he died that day, burned at the stake for his faith. And this is, this is, I think, an important story in context here, as, we, as Jesus is writing to this church in Smyrna. This church in Smyrna, you can understand, is going through just some, some amazing persecution. They are in need of some comfort. They are in need of some encouragement. They're in need of some help because they are, they are just, they're undergoing some major persecution here. All right, we, we talk about the persecution of the church, but this is, this is what persecution looks like. So we get to this letter in Revelation chapter 2. And here's what Jesus, remember this is Jesus writing all of these letters to these seven churches. This is what Jesus writes to this church. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Now, I want to... I'm going to stop a few times reading this scripture just so you know, heads up. I read that this week after reading through the history of Smyrna and thought, how powerful is that? Not only is Jesus reminding them who he is, he is. He's reminding them who he is. Hey, remember me. This is, this is me. This is God. This is Jesus writing you this letter. I was the first. I am the last. 
I always have been, I always will be, I am God, I am eternal. He's reminding them of all of this. But think about the history of the city of Smyrna. This city of Smyrna had died and came back to life again. And so you see Jesus kind of, in in another way, he's kind of relating to them a little bit. Look, I know what it's like to die and to come back to life again. I am God, this is what I did and I did it for you. Right, Revelation, he says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Verse 9, this is kind of the I see you moment, like we had in Ephesus last week. This is the I see you, God letting them know that he sees them. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Stop right there, because that's confusing. Pastor Chris, you just told us how rich this city was. You're right, I did. But Jesus is saying to this church, I know how poor you are. I see you in your poverty. I see you in the afflictions. What is he saying to this church? I I thought this was a rich area. This is a rich area. Something I learned this week. Jewish people in this time had, uh, they had secured an exemption from the government of polytheism, meaning that they, the government and the Jewish people had come to an agreement that they were okay if they only worshipped their God, if they didn't worship the Roman God. And in come these Christian people who are rocking the boat a little bit. They don't have this exemption, but they're still not worshiping Rome. And they're not going to worship Rome. In fact, they've made it pretty clear. See Polycarp. They've made it pretty clear that they are not going to worship Rome. They're not going to change who they worship. They're not going to denounce their God. And so they are kind of rocking the boat. And the Jewish people are nervous at this point because they are nervous that these Christian people doing what they are doing and not worshiping are going to mess with their exemption status. And so they begin, the Jewish people, the Jewish church, begins to to kind of turn on the Christians a little bit. They begin to turn in people who are not worshiping Rome, but are instead worshiping God. Which is, I think, one of the most ironic things in history. You have these people who have secured an exemption not to worship Rome, turning in people who are not worshiping Rome. You can understand now why, why Jesus calls these Jewish, this Jewish synagogue a synagogue of Satan. This isn't, this isn't, he's not putting down Jewish people here. He's talking to a specific group of Jewish people. But, as these Christians are being turned in, here's what happens. They essentially get, get banned from the marketplace, which is this is what that would look like. Imagine if you lost your job, and then there was like the whole city knew that they couldn't hire you because of who you are and what you worshiped. So you lose your job, No one will hire you because of your worship. 
And you begin to understand this church is in not just poverty, but extreme poverty. They can't work. They can't work a meaningful job. Which means what? They can't really provide for their families. They're struggling to eat. They're struggling to have homes to live in. But they have a church. And Jesus writes this letter to these people, and he says, I see you. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. Yet you are rich. Why? How can he say that? He can say that they are rich because they know him. They have Jesus. He's basically talking about counting the cost of following him to these people. He's saying, look, I know your poverty. I know that you can't get a job. I know you don't have any money. I know all of this about you, but you are rich because you know me. You are in a relationship with me. You serve and you worship me. And so no matter what the cost is, it's worth it. No matter what the cost is, I've got you. No matter what the cost is, you're mine. I see you. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know what you're going through, but you are rich. Even though you're poor, you are rich. It is worth the cost to follow me. No matter what the cost is, we come out ahead when we put our faith in Jesus and we give him our lives. That's true for them and it's true for us. No matter what the cost of following Jesus, it is worth it. They were poor, but they had Jesus. And in verse 10, Jesus breaks the news to them. Some bad news. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here's a paraphrase. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Look, I see you. I know what you're going through. I see the pain that these people have caused you. I see your poverty. I see your need. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be some that put you in prison. There's going to be some who test you. And you're going to suffer some persecution. But be faithful. He encourages them here. Be faithful. Because if you can be faithful, if you remain faithful, it will get better. And not only does it get better, this is, this, is the, this is why the cost is worth it. Because look what we get if we're faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. See, the cost is worth it. Because in the end, you get life. In the end, you don't just get any life, you get eternal life. You get to be with me forever. And then verse 11, he closes with these words of comfort. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And this again is, I think, a powerful conclusion. It kind of sandwiches this letter. Because why, why won't they be hurt by the second death? Because this it's Jesus who died and came to life again. 
This is Jesus who defeated death once and for all. This is Jesus who, who is the reason why we won't be hurt by the second death if we are faithful to him. This is Jesus speaking again. You no longer have, have to expect this. You can remember that, you, uh, that, that I beat this already, Jesus says. You don't have to. All right, Pastor Chris, so what, is, what does this letter have to do with us? What does this letter written to the church in Smyrna have to do with the church in... All right, Pastor Chris, so what, is, what does this letter have to do with us? What does this letter written to the church in Smyrna have to do with the church in Fred? All right, Pastor Chris, so what, is, what does this letter have to do with us? What does this letter written to the church in Smyrna have to do with the church in Fresno. All right, Pastor Chris, so what, is, what does this letter have to do with us? What does this letter written to the church in Smyrna have to do with the church in Fresno in 2000? All right, Pastor Chris, so what, is, what does this letter have to do with us? What does this letter written to the church in Smyrna have to do with the church in Fresno in 2019? What does that have to do with us? As I was thinking about that, as I was gearing up for this series, two questions, I think, came, came to my mind that we need to ask ourselves, that I am positive this church in Smyrna had to ask themselves. Here's, here's question number one. If you lost everything, would Jesus be enough? If you lost everything, would Jesus be enough? Amen. I know the church in Smyrna had to answer that question. And for some of them, the answer to that question was whether you live or you die. But if you lost everything, would Jesus be enough? See, this is an interesting question to ask outside of Smyrna. Particularly in our country in 2019. Because we don't necessarily need, quote unquote, Jesus to be successful. There are a lot of very successful people who don't have Jesus. And who feel like they've got enough. Who feel like they don't need anything else. See, this question of, of need and want and of wealth and of, of, of not is, is a very interesting question to ask in our country today. But here's, I want you to really think about this. If you lost everything, think Job as well. If you lost everything, would Jesus be enough? I mean, I, I over the last year or two, have watched people in this church, Travel and Olivia, answer this question in the affirmative pretty much. They might not have lost everything, but they lost a lot. And we're faithful day in and day out. 
Jesus was enough. If you lost everything, would Jesus be enough? I mean, Matthew chapter 16 tells us that we essentially have to give up everything. If you, if you want to follow me, Jesus says, you need to give, you need to, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is the instruction of Jesus. And if we, the question is, are we as a church willing to say that Jesus is enough? I mean, take everything else away, and I'm still going to worship Jesus. The cost I have to pay now is worth it when I think about the, what I receive in the end. And it will cost us. It will cost us. John 15 says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Right? And John, John, uh, 1 John first, chapter 3, verse 13, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if you have to go through some hard times. Don't be surprised if you lose everything. The question is, how valuable is Jesus to you? If you lost everything, is Jesus enough? Amen. The church in Smyrna had to answer in the affirmative. Absolutely. The people in the church in Smyrna could say, I've lost everything. And Jesus is enough. Jesus has proven himself to be enough. I don't think you get people and you don't get stories like Polycarp if they didn't have that answer. People who are willing to say, you can take my life, but I'm not going to worship any other God but God. You can take everything from me. It doesn't matter. I worship God. Here's the, the second question. If, if this kind of persecution, like we see the persecution in Smyrna, if this kind of persecution refines our faith, which is true, we see it all over the world, the church in China and in India, they're, they're blowing up in house churches. Why do you think that is? <clears throat> because they have to mean it. If they're going to church, just them, just them going to church is a life-threatening thing for them. They are saying, hey, I, I mean this. If, if persecution is something that refines our faith then how do we give Jesus his rightful place in our lives, in our culture of comfort? It's an interesting question. If persecution refines our faith, how do we give Jesus his rightful place in our life? How do we refine our faith in, in this culture of comfort that we own, that we have? And you can't deny that's where we live. How do we do it? I go back to something I preached about just a few weeks ago, and probably a few weeks before that, and a few weeks before that, and a few weeks before that. But we need to understand who we are. And we need to understand who God is. And we need to come to the understanding that we need God. When we come to grips with who we are. And then we come to grips with who God is. The response can't be anything other than, I need God. I need God. How do we give Jesus this rightful place in our lives? How do we, how do we begin to our, refine our faith? I think we need to come to grips with the fact that we need God, that we can't do it on our own, 
That we need God to save us. That we need God to come in and, and sanctify us. We need God to come in and live in and through us. We need God to, to do anything. How do we come to grips with the fact? How do, we, how do we put Jesus at his rightful place in our lives? I think we come to grips with the fact of how bad we need God. If there is something that I know about the church in Smyrna, it's this. That church loved Jesus first. They loved Jesus first. Before anything else, they loved Jesus. I can't work? That's okay. I forgot Jesus. I can't provide for my family? That's okay. I got Jesus. Are you going to fire me? That's okay. I've got Jesus. Are you going to turn me in because I'm not worshiping Rome? That's okay. I love Jesus. They loved Jesus first. And if there's one thing I want our church to be known for, it's this, that we love Jesus first. Amen. Amen. No matter what, no matter when, no matter how, no matter why, we love Jesus first. Amen. I love this letter to Smyrna. If you're ever going through a rough time, just look at this letter to Smyrna. God says, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see the poverty that you're in. I see the afflictions that have been put on you. I see what this Jewish church is doing to you. I see you. I know you're poor. I know you're hurting, but you are rich because you have me. And you love me first. And if you continue to be faithful, then your reward is life. And not just any life, eternal life. Not just any life, life with Jesus forever. Amen. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I've got ears, so do you. Let's hear what Jesus says to these churches. Let's continue to be faithful, and let's make sure this week as we go forward that we love Jesus